Business Diplomacy Today, the podcast about international relations and geopolitics from a business perspective. We help you anticipate the changing political and societal trends that influence your business. Welcome. My name is Matthias Katon. I'm your host. Business Diplomacy Today is sponsored by the Indo-German Center for Business Excellence. The center is a think tank, research center, and network that connects people and organizations interested in business relations between India and Germany. As an academic institution founded in 2021 at Frankfurt School of Finance and Management, it is independent and impartial, but always close to the real world. To find out more about the center, please go to indogerman.center and you can also find this link in the show notes. Today, we will talk about transatlantic relationships between Germany and the US. And my guest today is Simone Menne. Simone Menne is a prominent German business leader with a very diverse career. She initially trained as a tax and business advisory professional before going to university to study business administration. Menne began her career at IIT Corporation in the audit department before moving to Lufthansa, where she held various roles before shattering the glass ceiling in 2008. 12, becoming the first female CFO of a major German DAX corporation. Later, she joined Böhringer Ingelheim and uh, she held various leadership roles there as well. Today, she is active in uh, supervisory boards, different ones. Uh, she's a non-executive director there. She also, interestingly, runs an art gallery in Kiel, which is her native city, And she is a well-known and sought-after speaker on a number of issues, digitalization, women in business, and other things as well. And she also has another job, and that is also getting us closer to today's topic. Since 2021, she has been the president of the American Chamber of Commerce in Germany, usually known in its shorter form of AmCham. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm happy to be with you. Today, we are talking about probably still the most important international relationship, if I may say so, and that is the transatlantic relationship between Germany and the other European countries and North America, primarily, of course, the US. And that is obviously very close to your heart, I suppose, as president of AmCham. That is uh, one of the visions or missions of AmCham is to support those relationships primarily in the business world. And we will talk about where we stand there, uh, how the relationship is doing. We will try to look a little bit into the future. Obstacles, obviously, but also potentials that we see there. So let me begin with US-German economic relationships in general. How do you think are we faring there compared to the past decades? Are we in a good shape? Is there more shadows? Is there more light? Oh, it's we are definitely in a good shape. And actually, investments in both directions are increasing despite the difficult general economical situation. As obviously both countries know the rules and regulations, know that there is a safe environment, share, especially for new technologies, uh, the same ideas. Uh, so in this regard, uh, I would say we are in a very good relationship, although there are still things to do. 
Is that one of the reasons why maybe sometimes one has the impression that it's not being talked about so much? There's a lot of talk is about China, obviously, about India as the potential new player coming up at the horizon. Is the European-German business relationship so stable and so well-established that it just runs like a well-oiled machine and no one really needs to talk about it? Well, I have the feeling, especially in Germany, we like to talk about problems and challenges uh, and not so much about things going quite well. Obviously, a lot of people talked about the Inflation Reduction Act when the US uh, gave out that act last year and uh, people were already talking about the trade war, which was not reality, but that was news. It's not news when everything is really running fine. US is the most important trade partner for Germany. If you calculate everything, also services like IT, of course, China is important for import-export in products, but US is still the most important partner we have in Germany. You mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, depending on who you ask, uh, that is either blatant protectionism or it is a bold move to lead us into a better, greener future. What's your take on this? <laughs> it's somewhere in the middle, obviously, uh, as always. I think uh, it was a bold move, but we have to consider that uh, it was introduced before the midterms. So it was important for the Biden administration to get this act through before the elections, because they obviously did not know what the majorities in Senate and Congress will look like. And they used inflation and they also used make America great again uh, in a slightly different version to obviously also sell it. The reality is it's a lot of investment in sustainability in every area, also health. It's very seldom talked about. And the protectionism part is a point because rules are that some companies cannot ask for subsidies when they do not produce in the US. So for some, especially German car industry, that, that was a problem. And in this regard, we are in disadvantage to other countries like Canada or Mexico because we do not have a free trade agreement with the US. But both governments uh, were sitting together and uh, are looking for possible solutions. So in this regard, again, I'm confident that German companies will profit uh, from this act, as they did from acts uh, during Corona. So German companies did uh, actually profit a lot from subsidies. But also U.S. companies are seeing what Europe is doing. Europe is doing subsidies, a Green Deal in Europe. And also Europe is not always with open arms towards U.S. companies. So I think it's tit for tat. Still, one has the impression that a lot of the corporate world in the U.S. is still much more dynamic. Uh, of course, if you look at the technology sector, there is Silicon Valley. All those companies uh, are based in the U.S. Almost no international IT player is uh, from Europe. Do these policies exacerbate this problem that we are facing, that we have a much more dynamic business sector in the US. We also have uh, more immigration, uh, which is very controversial in Europe. We have an aging society. So is Europe slowly becoming irrelevant, as uh, some people think? And is it only going to be the US on the one side and maybe some Asian players on the other side? And Europe is going to be some sort of a retirement home in the middle? 
again, this is the gloomy mood we are seeing here. Europe is a very, very important partner for the US as well as for China or other countries. And there is even the talk of a Brussels effect because some regulations given out by Brussels is then introduced in other countries so that they can fit in and export towards Europe. The aging population is an issue. This is an issue the US is not having. China is having the same issue, so they are aging. The migration actually is also a US problem, but US for a long time already did a professional migration work, so also to introduce experts and especially science is profiting a lot from the US rules and, and the way you do research. And, and I think that may be really an issue we are seeing here. We should be a lot better in research and in risk-taking. So uh, we are very good in engineering, in optimizing, not so much in running forward and make the first step. And therefore, I like partnerships between the US and Germans because at the end, you get something of boldness and at the same time, some German engineering, some really preciseness, which ends up in a sustainable product. And what we have seen with BioNTech Pfizer during the Corona crisis was the best way a partnership could work. But there, actually, the Germans were the innovative part and Pfizer was the big scaling partner. So we can learn from each other. And if you think about the car industry, obviously, the German car industry was a lot more innovative than any American car industry. So again, we have to look into the details. It's not black and white. Are we learning enough from each other? Is that something we're doing on both sides of the Atlantic? I think yes. We have uh, a lot of US companies here in Germany and they are members of American Chamber of Commerce. As well, do we have German companies in the US? BMW has the biggest production site in the US in Spartanburg. And I think we definitely use that to learn from each other. In some areas, we could make progress. For example, using same standards that would be really helpful. It would be helpful regarding markets, but it would also be helpful in exchanging products. Huh? And so, so that is a point where we can still learn. Free trade agreement we do not have. Uh, so in this regard also we could make progress there. But if we look into companies and if I look at our membership in MCHEM, we are learning from each other, yes. You mentioned free trade agreements, and of course, potential free trade agreement has been discussed for decades between mm -hmm. Europe and the US. At some point, there was a big appetite, late 90s, early noughts, I guess. And then that appetite for free trade died down pretty much universally, I would say, not just in Europe, but also in, in the US. How do you see chances? Have they increased recently of getting something like that done between Europe and the US? The famous TTIP was obviously uh, not working out and it was very, very difficult because it really tried to regulate everything from farming to pharmaceutical to car. And I think that was a little bit too much. And actually, at the end, it 
ended up with uh, mistrust and uh, it destroyed a lot of trust on both sides for future agreements. What I would foresee, what could be a possibility, trade agreements for special segments so that we start, for example, because that's absolutely necessary, steel and aluminium. That is not yet regulated. If you remember, President Trump introduced special fees for that and then it was a moratorium, so it's standing still at the moment. It's not yet with a solution. But working on green steel, new technology, in a way of a trade agreement uh, could be a promising first step. And from that we can extend maybe into other areas. That would be my suggestion. Uh, I don't believe that a big thing, a big free trade agreement like TTIP between Europe and the US will come in foreseeable future. That's interesting. And my question to you would also be, what was the issue at the end? Was it about policy or was it bit more about ideology because we all remember I mm. think the chlorine chicken that chlorine was the kind chicken, of the, yes. the yeah, yeah. famous example which you know no matter how you stand on that issue is like a very minor thing right independently of whether you believe that it's a good thing to to use chlorine on chicken or not I have no idea but it's you know it's a very minor thing in the in the whole thing so it seems to indicate that it was more an issue of ideology rather than really of policy differences right well, maybe it was just standing for differences and it was not just the chicken. I think it was mainly farming, yes. And we see the same issue at the moment with the Mercosur uh, trade agreement, where Brazil especially and, and South America is saying, we like your sustainability, but the way you are writing sustainability in this contract is not acceptable for us. In this regard, you are right, it's ideology. And it's not only one thing there, but the general, maybe patronizing way Europe behaves, or at least it's, it's felt for some countries as patronizing. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to ask. Do we, we the, the Europeans, we the Germans, do we sometimes want too much? And do we also have a tendency of uh, lecturing others uh, on how to do things the right way? I think partly yes. You know, it's it's still this, this way that uh, we think culture was invented here and uh, therefore we know best uh, what to do and sometimes forget to see also what is happening in other parts of the world. And there we have to be careful and listen more. On the other hand, it's good to have values. And when we look into data privacy, Europe was going forward. Everybody here was complaining that it will be the end of our IT technology. Now other countries are, are copying it because they find out that it makes some sense to have your ownership of your own personal data. In this regard, again, an American told me recently, we are happy when you do a regulation. You do it very, very thoroughly, and then we take part of it. We copy part of it, but not all, because that would be too much. <laughs> That's an interesting point. And you mentioned, obviously, this before when you said that maybe Europe's power is in this regulatory sphere. It's not the military part, obviously, but it's this regulatory power that forces other countries or 
induces them to fall in line with a certain regulation. It's interesting that you mentioned data protection and GDPR because very similar arguments are being made right now when it comes to AI. The mm -hmm. European Union has been the first entity, I think, uh, to try to regulate this new field. And again, some people have said, well, this is premature and this will put an end to that industry in Europe. Everything will go to the US, go to China, and in the end, Europeans will lose out because they will be forced to use other countries or other people's technology. What's your take on that? It's a very, very complex issue because uh, we see that AI already now is sometimes misusing things. Like, uh, think about the, the strikes of the actors in the US because they were scared that they are just copied by AI and don't get money, don't get paid anymore. Writers in the US are complaining because ChatGPT was reading their books and using it uh, now for suggestions. We know that AI could do a lot with our personal data and uh, also here maybe misuse. At the same time, I fully see that if we are too strict now with rules and regulations, companies may go to another country. It, it's happening partly in pharmaceuticals because some of the tests here in Germany are too complex. Uh, so other countries are, are preferable for, for tests for pharmaceuticals. So finding the right balancing act is, I think, uh, the issue because I see that we need regulation. And actually, the lady I was referring to just now, she was talking about the AI Act. Yeah. Okay, it's interesting. Yes, of course. Uh, and you can debate endlessly what is the right amount and you will always find someone who would like to have a bit of stricter regulation and someone else who would prefer a bit of lighter regulation. If you think some of the front runners in the IT technology area, they are warning and, and they know a lot. They know a lot more than I do. So I think if we get warnings from some of the specialists, we should look into it. So far, we've mostly talked about things from a business perspective, but of course, politics and business are never separable entirely. And that's also why we have this podcast, where we precisely try to look at international relations, global affairs from a business perspective or through the lens of business. And, and we talked a little bit about the state of transatlantic relationships. Would you say that uh, given the recent geopolitical events, primarily the war in Ukraine, of course, but also a bit of a more long-term uh, change, the rising tensions between the West and China. Have those two things brought Europeans and Americans closer together? Yes, definitely. We went through a difficult area, especially in the relationship between uh, Washington and Berlin in the former administration. And even in the Obama administration, there was already a move towards the Pacific and Asia. The tensions and the geopolitical issues actually brought the partnership closer together. This is absolutely true. And if you recall some, some wordings which happened, like uh, NATO is dead or headless, or also the 
U.S. administration saying uh, we, we are moving out. There is no debate about that anymore. So yes, it is coming closer, but you constantly, and that is a signal for that, you constantly have to work on that and you have to communicate on all levels, not only Washington and Berlin. It's very important that we also talk on, on other levels. I'm, I'm uh, as you said in your introduction, I'm living in Kiel and we have a partnership with the Bay Area, San Francisco, because we have shared similar uh, issues being close to the sea and also obviously trying to be leading in in science, which he may be a little bit bold to say that in comparison to San Francisco, but we dare to do so. So we also have to talk on these levels. Now we have to talk to senators, governors, and uh, we have to look for people and not for parties. That's a good point. And you mentioned NATO. That's certainly something that uh, Putin has accomplished is resuscitating NATO. It's stronger than ever. It has uh, some new members, uh, others who would love to join rather tomorrow or today than tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But you also mentioned that the US threatened to pull out of uh, NATO and there was one particular person who threatened to do so. Mm -hmm. And that was obviously former President Donald Trump. Now we have elections coming up in the US in 2024. And as far as anyone can tell right now, it looks like it's going to be a rematch between Donald Trump and the now incumbent Joe Biden with at least saying from now, if you look at the polls and the surveys, there is a fairly decent chance that Donald Trump might return to the White House. Now, what would that mean for transatlantic relationships? Unpredictable. <laughs> it's unpredictable. Uh, I heard people saying it will be dictatorship, but I also heard people saying it may be two totally different candidates and can still develop in that direction. And for me, it's absolutely not possible to predict. What I don't want to do is actually to polarize here too. You know, when um, shortly before the Russian war against Ukraine started, I was sitting together with US senators and, uh, and they were saying, you're Germans. You think more about economics than about politics uh, because there were still Nord Stream 2, there were still no sanctions, and it was one week before. And they accused us. And then somebody in this group of the debate said, well, actually, now you're accusing us. You should wait for our actions before you accuse us. At the same time, this person was saying, and you ask us to look at our actions and not for the wording in the White House. And I think that is important that we not now already start to talk about a monster coming, but say, okay, let's be rational, let's be diplomats, let's listen, let's look. And obviously, and this is what uh, I think our government is doing, also look for relationships on every area. Annalena Baerbock went to Texas. So you, you do this kind of relationships on all areas. So I, I would suggest we better go for this way than to just look into, okay, what terrible things will happen. You know, Saturday night shows live from that. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's a very diplomatic and good answer. But still, apologies for pressing you a little bit. <laughs> if I say that, is that even that you say it's totally unpredictable, that in and by itself is already pretty scary. Yeah, Because yeah, absolutely. Decades uh, of, the, the fact, yeah, yeah. Decades of transatlantic relationships, they were precisely defined by one term, yeah. that is predictability, no matter whether yeah. it was a Republican president or a Democratic president. And also on the other side, if you look at Germany, for example, you know, no matter whether there were Christian Democrats who sent the chancellor or social democrats so the the transatlantic relationship was some ups and downs but it was always on the basic tenets it was all very very predictable and the, the mere fact that that has changed apparently is in it by itself i would say is rather yeah yeah uh, scary yeah. and and uh, don't misunderstand me the fact that my answer when you said uh, what will happen when trump comes into the white house I said unpredictability, and that is dangerous. And what he did in the past, uh, like announcing we are moving out from the UN or we just increase duties on steel, um, we, I call Taiwan, <laughs> imagine, he called the presidents of Taiwan without knowing what's, what, is he, what is he doing. So all this obviously is scary. Yeah, and in this regard, you are absolutely right that uh, that is not a good future. On the other hand, we have to be prepared and find maybe ways, should that happen, that others can work around. And uh, partly that happened also during his administration. Good. Let's let's see and uh, let's, uh, I guess, one can say that let's hope for the best, which uh, I guess uh, for most uh, people... It will be an interesting year, definitely, because we also have elections in Europe Yes. and in the US. And uh, so, you know, in the US, they are asking the same questions. What shall we do in Saxon yeah, when you're, we have you're an right. AFD yeah. there? You're absolutely right. We had elections in the Netherlands uh, recently yeah. where uh, populist party came out, uh, the winning party with uh, Gerd Wilders as the head. And of course, uh, here in Germany, we have a major problem with uh, right-wing AFD, yeah. which uh, I think I recently read a survey, even nationwide is polling at 22%. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. in the entire Germany. So if you look at some of the eastern states, that's still Unpredictability yeah. regarding some of our processes. That could mean no investments or no yeah. migrants, which we urgently need. So I think As I said, in the U.S. as well as here, on the political side, we have to work yeah. to get it stabilized. That is true. On the other hand, of course, uh, given the, the size differences, uh, the, the significance of Germany, the Netherlands, for example, compared to the U.S., <laughs> they're, they're yeah. tiny. So, you know, uh, how's yeah. the saying that if, you know, the U.S. sneezes, the world gets a cold or something like that. So mm -hmm. the repercussions, uh, the global repercussions of a U.S. election, they're obviously much bigger always than any European or any other election in the world, probably for, for that matter. Mm -hmm. We have a, a segment, we've been looking into the future and you said, well, next year is already unpredictable. So I'll ramp it up a little bit because we have one segment in our podcast that we call a bold prediction. A bold prediction, the world in 10 years. And there we ask our guests to give us their idea of how the world will look like in 10 years from now. So that would be even after, you know, the next two presidential terms in the US. So quite a bit in the future. What is your take? What do you think? How will European transatlantic relationships look like in 10 years from now? I'm an optimist. 
And I think crisis is an opportunity to develop further, to learn more. We have new technologies, we have possibilities towards uh, sustainability and towards AI. I think still the majority of people are very reasonable people who like the same values on both sides of the Atlantic. And as I just said, want to do a lot to make this democratic and stabilize. And in this regard, I think using these new possibilities of AI, which everybody says is as important as the internet and the way to really go into climate sustainability measures would bring us into a brighter future and hopefully into a learning society which comes even closer together globally because of new technologies. I am still believing a lot in airline. I was with Lufthansa for 27 years. I am in favor of sustainable fuel. So all this kind of great ideas we are having, when we use them right, and therefore an Inflation Reduction Act as well as the Green Deal in Europe, can bring us a lot further. And also Europe did develop in every crisis a little further. And yes, we are talking a lot about the things which do not function, but I believe we make progress and it will be a bright future, sustainable and intelligent. Wow, that's a very uplifting prediction. So that's good. We will hope uh, that it will come true. You know, the point, just to make that, I'm not a hopeless optimist. The point is, you can talk yourself into a depression. And I hear a lot also some some radio entertainment that people are always saying, oh, that's not possible anyhow. Oh, that will be difficult. Oh, no. And this is what we really need to say it's possible. We have already a lot on the table. We just have to try it. And that's a little bit the, the more American way of doing things. Absolutely. No, no, I, I fully agree. I think that's, that's great. And uh, there is such a thing as a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you only talk about the gloomy things, then you have a fair chance of they actually becoming a reality in one way or mm -hmm. a, another We're already coming slowly to the end of uh, this episode, so I want to get to the other fixed segment. Executive Briefing. What you should read now. Since we're never able to cover everything that is to be said about the topic of a particular episode in the time that we have, we ask our guests to give our listeners one, two, three recommendations on what they might read if they want to dig deeper into the topic of the episode. Is there anything particular you'd like to recommend or suggest? Yes, thanks a lot that uh, you prepared me for that question, <laughs> because if not, it would be difficult. But I think one book which fits is the new book from Daniel Kehmann, Lichtspiel. That's about a German producer in the 30s, he's a migrant to the US. He cannot enjoy the culture there. It's too bold for him. So he returns to Nazi Germany. And there he's doing movies for Nazis. His way of thinking and this difficulty to decide. I think some people may be in similar situations now 
about the political society we were talking about. So I think that may be a, a quite good book. Another one, totally different direction. That's Reality Plus. I have to look. Uh, it's from David J. Chalmers. And there he's talking about virtual reality and philosophy. And asking the question, are we real here? Or am I just dreaming that I do a podcast with Matthias Caton and uh, I'm, I'm living in a virtual reality already? So the Matrix, the Matrix story. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that on a philosophical way. So I thought that was also very interesting in today's times. Perfect. Uh, thank you very much. We'll make sure we'll put uh, those uh, two titles in the show notes so that people can look them up uh, there and they sound extremely interesting. They combine intercultural experiences with history, which I think is wonderful. You can learn a lot from history. It's actually one of the only ways, uh, in my view, that you can learn for the future. Yeah. And of course, combining uh, new technologies with philosophy is also quite intriguing. So thank you very much, Simone, for this uh, wonderful recommendations and also, more broadly speaking, for the episode itself, for the interview. I agree that uh, we are um, facing uh, interesting times in 2024 with uh, US-European relationships and uh, then obviously the presidential elections coming up in uh, November. But I want to reiterate again that you are very optimistic for the future of those relationships in your prediction for the next 10 years. So we will definitely hope that you will be proven right Thank you very much for being a guest today. Thank you, Matthias. It was great fun. Thanks a lot. This was another episode of the Business Diplomacy Today podcast. This podcast is presented by the Indo-German Center for Business Excellence. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe to it on your favorite podcasting platform. And of course, we would also be delighted if you would leave a review or a rating there. You can also go to our website at businessdiplomacy.today to check out the show notes of this episode. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening.